Would you open God's precious holy word to John chapter 3? We will try to finish the first 10 verses here. And so we've come to John 3, and this is the great text of rebirth, regeneration. So let's look at it together. Let me say this. Rebirth, regeneration is the second work of God in your salvation. According to the Bible, God's first work was divine election. I don't understand all there is to understand about divine election. I just know it's in the Bible and behooves me to study it, think about it. I can not completely understand the doctrine of divine election, the first work of God in our salvation. But I must understand this second thing, which is regeneration. If one cannot understand its application, And how it has come to be and how it is in the life of a believer, then salvation itself has missed a foundational point and is not to be understood either. As we go through the scripture, I think you'll understand why I say these things. Now there was a man of the Pharisees, Nicodemus by name, a ruler of the Jews. This guy was at the top of his game. In a later text, in a later verse here, he's called the teacher of Israel. Not a teacher, but the teacher. Definite article is used and that designates him as above all other teachers. He's a Pharisee. The time of Jesus, there may have been as many as 6,000 or so Pharisees. The word Pharisee comes from a compound word that means to be separated. So they thought of themselves as separate from everyone else. They were, they were very, very hard on people. Not just because of the word of God, the law of Moses specifically, but all of these man-made things that the Jews had come up with in Judaism. So the Pharisees were declaring not only the law of Moses, word of God, as they had it, but also were declaring how people needed to meticulously follow the Talmudic, what was developing into the Talmudic writings, the Mishnah and all that stuff. And people were burdened. They didn't know whether they were sinning or not. It was impossible even for a Pharisee to memorize all of those regulations. This guy was a Pharisee. This meant that he had advantages. He was an elitist. He was an elite member of his culture. 
He would have advantages that no one else had. He expected these advantages. Generally, all the Pharisees were wealthy. Well, the teacher in Israel, a, a ruler of the Jews, he was a member of the Sanhedrin. All of these things add up to Nicodemus being extraordinarily important, well-known, and wealthy among the Jews. Judaism was built on human works, human righteousness, man-made righteousness. Of course, it was that flawed doctrine that Jesus came to correct. And he taught and preached against it. So he comes first to the Jews and then here's this guy. Let's put it in its perspective. Jesus cast out from what we just studied in the previous verses. Had cast out the money changers with a, with a whip that he had made from cords. And then the Bible says that many believed on him because of the signs, the miracles that he performed. We're to understand then that Jesus in the temple area, having come for Passover and still there, began to teach the people and garnered their attention by performing signs, miracles. John tells us at the end of his gospel that all the books in the world couldn't contain everything that Jesus did. So we're to understand that Christ in his ministry in general and specifically in Jerusalem and, and around Jerusalem, according to the previous verses in chapter 2, Jesus was prolifically performing signs, miracles, casting out demons, healing the sick. Blind could see. The deaf could hear. The, the, the mute could talk. Cripples were restored or completely made new if they had been crippled since birth. Jesus was constantly doing these things. So many times and in so many ways that John says at the end of his book, there's no way that all that Jesus did could be recorded. It's just, there's no way we could keep up with all that Jesus did. But he made a great impact early in his ministry there in Jerusalem, around Jerusalem. And there was a guy who, of course, would be there during the Passover season who was a ruler, a member of the Sanhedrin, but not only that, he was the top scholar, the teacher in Israel. He was the top scholar of the Pharisees who themselves were considered Bible scholars, Old Testament scholars. So this man of the Pharisees, Nicodemus by name, a ruler of the Jews, he came to him by night and said to him, there's a lot of talk about why he came at night. It's really not relevant to the story. 
because the story transcends the where, it's the why that's important. He came to him by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God, a teacher. For no one is able to do these signs that you do unless God is with him. What Jesus had done in previous days as he taught the people was so profound that it, it blew the top guy away, Nicodemus. The teacher in Israel. That meant, and a Pharisee, and a ruler of the Jews, that meant that everything about Nicodemus rested, his hope for anything rested on the fact that the blood of Abraham pulsed through his veins, that he was an Israelite, he was a Jew, a, a Pharisee, a scholar of the Old Testament, and very well learned in the writings and traditions that would develop into the Talmud and other Mishnah writings. And so he was an intellectual and he knew all of it. He knew the biblical stuff, the law of Moses, and he knew the the pseudo-biblical stuff, the stuff that's not the Word of God, the traditions, the man-made laws, and so forth. Therefore, he would be presented to the culture where he lived as being a man who, because of his knowledge and works, was qualified for heaven, the kingdom of God. And this qualification came solely based on him. Now, Nicodemus says, and he speaks from the heart of a scholar, a Pharisee, lifelong Jew, member of the Sanhedrin. I mean, this guy's been around the block a few times. And he says, you know, These things just can't happen. To restore limbs to people, to raise them up, to cleanse their leprosy, to do all that you do. No one can do this unless God is with him. Now notice the language. God is with him. You remember John 1? In the beginning was the word, word was with God, word was God in the same in the beginning, the same was God and all things through him came into existence and apart from him. And then the word was made flesh. Well, here's God. But he fails to recognize the one in whose presence he stands. He has, he has deep spiritual Deficiency. He has a lot of physical stuff he can claim, his, his heritage, his bloodline, his, his studies and his 
claims on, on, on all of, the, of Judaism. But Judaism had become poison. And Christ, of course, had come to correct it. So we'll call this part human consternation. He's troubled. We're going to see that in the next slide, and we'll call this slide divine explanation. Okay? Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, Amen, Amen. Legosoi, I say to you. That's in the second person, it's you, but it's in the singular. He's talking to Nicodemus. As I preach, I'm talking to you, y'all. But this is Jesus to Nicodemus. I say to you, unless one is born anew from above. Now let me tell you this. To be born means to be brand new. So it means to be born anew. And the next Greek word up there is that doesn't. There's another word for again. This means from above. So unless one is born anew from above, it has to be a divine thing. It is in no way and no whit a human thing. Not one little thing at all. Not the least speck of born anew from above is connected to human effort, human behavior, human experience, human knowledge. It is from above. God does it. God does it. Unless one is born anew from above, he is not able to see the kingdom of God. Jesus, we've already seen this in previous verses in John's gospel. The four gospels are replete with this truth. Jesus knew men. We saw it in the previous verse where right after it said that many believed on him because of the signs, it said right after that, but Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew what was in a man's heart. He knew mankind and he knew. He knows who is for real and who is not. Jesus knows the omniscience of God rested in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. This becomes very clear throughout his ministry on earth. Jesus looks right into him and he answers a question that Nicodemus did not orally ask, but it was in his heart. Let me tell you about works salvation. If you or anyone you know base their eternal life on their behavior, on their works, 
on the pursuit of perfect works in this life, they will eventually go crazy. They will, they will be inundated with fear, constant fear that they haven't done enough. They'll look around and see the works of others and they'll say, oh, I'm not doing that. I need to get involved in that. Those people look better than I do. It looks like that they're doing something more difficult than I've ever done. And so now they change gears and they do this their lives and they depend upon self-righteousness and the works of their flesh. And it all adds up to zero. It's nothing. Here's a guy who had established his spiritual reputation and I put spiritual in quotation marks. On his behavior, on, on, on the pinnacle that he had reached as a man, as a Jew, as a Pharisee. He, he had all kinds of, 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 of titles and accolades and he was respected and even the other Pharisees would have to bow and get out of his way because he was Nicodemus. By night, some say probably to hide himself from others so that others would not know that he knew he had a defect, doesn't say. But he comes to Jesus, the miracle worker, the teacher who has been teaching the people following the, the preaching of John the Baptist who had preached repentance and unworthiness to stand before the Messiah. And this guy building his life on human behavior and self-righteousness is troubled. And Jesus knows it. So Jesus doesn't answer a question that he asked orally. Jesus answers the question that grips his heart on the inside. I'm afraid that I will never be in the kingdom of God. Unless one is born anew from above, he is not able to see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how is a man able to be born being old? Can he enter into his mother's womb and be born a second time? Everything about the mindset of Nicodemus is fleshly. It's, a, it's a, a human work, a fleshly thing. And from that mindset, he asks the question. I'm an old man and how can I be in my mother's womb and be born a second time? Exactly what Jesus wanted him to ask. So there's human consternation, there's divine explanation. And then what follows for the rest of the text is simply spiritual regeneration. Jesus answered 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he is not able to enter into the kingdom of God. Now Jesus is talking to the teacher of Israel, a top Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin. Jesus is talking to a man who is the top scholar of the Old Testament. Some say, well, you have to be born physically before you can be born spiritually. Well, see, what's wrong with that is that adds a human work into it. That adds the human thing into it. But everything that Christ is saying says it has to happen from above. So what does Nicodemus Old Testament say? And how would he have known it? There are several, but I'm going to pick out two scriptures from the Old Testament. That speaks of water and of the Spirit. First is in Ezekiel 36 and around verse 25. It is the text that scholars call the text of the five I wills, where God says, I will, I will. Doesn't say, you'll have to do this before. No, it's just, I will, I will. It is the power of God to save, to save those who are unworthy. And he's speaking specifically to Israel. And in the greater context, he's making a promise that he will save all of Israel and that they'll be, after they're dispersed, they'll be brought back to the, to the land because Ezekiel 37 is the valley of dry bones and so forth. And he says, preach to these bones. The Spirit comes in. Well, let me back up to 36 verse 25. Something like this. God says... I will cleanse you with the sprinkling of water. I will. And then on that he says, I'll put a new spirit in you. In another part of Ezekiel he says, I'll take out your heart of stone and I'll put a heart of flesh. And I'll give you a new spirit. I will. I will. I will. It reminds me of a rock song or something. I will. I will. Okay, let me crawl out of that rabbit hole and here we go. God says he will cleanse with water. And then he'll give a new spirit. I'll clean you up and give you a new heart. A heart that desires God. A heart that desires to please God. A heart that doesn't have any care for the things of the world. It only cares for the things of God. A new heart. A new man. God cleans you with the, with the sprinkling of divine water. Then he gives you a new spirit. But maybe my favorite one, and there are several in the Old Testament. I've only picked out two. The other one is in Psalm 51. David says, wash me thoroughly and cleanse me. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Psalm 51, of course, is the psalm that David wrote from a broken and penitent heart. Having committed adultery. With Bathsheba and then conspiracy, he conspired to have her husband murdered. 
It's an awful story. Two of the worst things we can think of in life, adultery and murder. David, a broken man before God, says, you got to cleanse me. There's nothing I can do. If you were pleased with some ritual, I'd do it. But that's not what you want. Wash me thoroughly and cleanse me. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. But you must wash me. Later on, he says, renew a right spirit within me. Don't take your Holy Spirit away. Renew a right spirit within me. Washing with divine water, an act of God, and a new spirit placed in his heart, an act of God. I would think those are major prophecies. Those are major uh, portions of Scripture in the Old Testament. Now, a scholar, especially Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, should have, been, should ha, should have easily drawn upon not just those passages, but others. And I'm not going to take the time to go through another half dozen or so. But here it is. Unless one is born of water and of the Spirit. Now this is from above. This is divine. This is a divine work. Let me go back to previous slide. And Nicodemus said, how is a man able to be born? There is no how. Great and wonderful men of the Word of God have written books entitled How to Be Born Again. There is no how. This isn't a five-step process or a two-step. It is a divine thing that God does. That's why we're humbled before God as believers in Christ. God has brought us to Himself when we would have never come ourselves. It's an act of God. So then, that having been born, that having been born of the flesh is flesh. Okay, that speaks right to where Nicodemus lives. You do this and you do that and you put on that garment. You have these little things hanging off that's supposed to make you look holy and people got to get out of your way and... You can do all this stuff and you go to the Sanhedrin meetings and you put yourself in a position spiritually higher than everybody else, but all of that is flesh. You cannot save yourself. You cannot cause yourself to enter into the kingdom of God. It's exactly what the passage says. Listen, Nicky boy. If it's born of the flesh, it's nothing but flesh. What happens to flesh? Well, it dies, it rots, it goes away, it turns to dust. Flesh produces no lasting thing within the life of a person. He dies. 
the flesh goes away. That having been born of the flesh is flesh. And that having been born of the spirit is spirit. Nicodemus, look back on your Old Testament. Don't be amazed. You know these things. You're the top scholar. You've read them maybe hundreds of times. Do not be amazed. Do not wonder that I said to you, it is necessary for you to be born anew from above. That there has to be a work of God in your life. That you cannot work it. God works it. Don't be amazed at this. And then Jesus says, the wind blows. Now the tonuma. Numa means air or wind. It means wind. It's also translated in the New Testament. In, 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 in the New Testament is spirit. The wind blows where it wills. Fele, where it wills or where it wishes, where it desires. And you hear it, you hear it sound. I've been through four, through four hurricanes. And man, I heard it. I heard it. I could see the results of it, but I couldn't see the wind. You know from where it comes, but you know not from where it comes. It blows wherever it wants to blow. You hear it, but you don't know where it came from, and you don't know where it goes. Thus is everyone having been born by the Spirit Jesus says it is a divine work of God. Spiritual regeneration. Born from above. In John 1 and verse 13, in the introduction of John's gospel, the Holy Spirit through John says this. You are not born by blood. You are not born by the will of the flesh. You are not born by the will of man. But by the will of God, John 1, verse 13. We've already been through that. Jesus, what John gave to us as a principle in his introduction, Jesus now affirms in his teaching to Nicodemus. It is totally opposite of a work of the flesh. It is not a work of who you are. It is not your work. There's nothing you can do. It is a divine work of God.
You can't save yourself. You can't keep yourself saved. We need the power of the cross, the work of the Holy Spirit. We need the work of God. We are otherwise dead in trespass and sin. Only God can resurrect the dead. And we need to be born anew from above. In Titus in chapter 3, Titus, Paul writes about regeneration. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter is writing of God and he says, God has caused you to be born anew. God has caused it. 1 Peter chapter 1. You don't know where it comes from and you don't know where it's going. And so it is with everyone who is born by the Spirit. That's why our hearts leap for joy every time someone is drawn to Christ and is given that gift of repentance and faith. And God divinely, miraculously works out in time what he had planned in eternity. It's a miracle of God and how we should rejoice that we would be in the presence of the very personal work of Almighty God when he brings a sinner to himself. That's why we worship. We worship the God who saved us whose spirit is in us, Christ in us, working his divine will. So is everyone being born by the spirit. Nicodemus answered and said, how are these things able to be? And I love the, I love the response of Jesus. Jesus answered and said to him, you, <laughs> you, are the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? It comes right from your Old Testament. The sprinkling of cleansing water, divine water, divine washing, divine imputation, divine placing of a new spirit. The heart of stone removed and the heart of flesh in its place and a new spirit in the man. You are the teacher. You are the top dog. You are the one. You the man. You don't know these things. Wasn't much of a scholar. He probably knew more about the traditions and the writings of man than he did the word of God. How is it? You don't know these things. You had nothing to do with your physical birth. I don't even remember it. If anyone remembers his physical or her physical birth, I'd like for you to stand and give a testimony. You were there, right? How'd you make it happen? Well, this is not a class for that the same as with spiritual birth it happens from outside of who you are
It's divine. Born anew from above. A work of God. And now my worship is so much more pure. There's not a song that I can sing about something that I did. The only songs that I can sing are those songs about what God has done. And we are His by His divine effort and work. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And He came into this world to save sinners. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why, that's a sign of the work of God in your life. The natural man cannot believe those things. Only God can give that faith to you. If you would come to Christ publicly today, in a moment we'll stand and sing our song of invitation. You're invited to come. Take me by the hand. Let me pray with you. Maybe you're here and you're already a Christian, already a believer. and This is where God wants you to plant your life as a believer. You come. We'll take care of all the details. If that's what God wants in your life. Now after this invitation is over, if you want to speak to someone further about salvation or church membership, we have deacons and their wives in rooms right across the hall as you exit you'll see them standing there and if you want to handle this matter in that way then you do it that way Father God in heaven bless us now speak to our hearts call us as you see fit and be glorified in all that happens in Jesus name Amen let's stand together and sing okay